Hey everyone, being an 80s podcast, we don't normally talk about current events. However, we feel that we need to take a moment and acknowledge that now is an extremely important time in history. Black Lives Matter and all voices of support need to be heard. Like so many of you, we've been lending our support. We encourage you all to get involved in any way you can. Donate your time, your money, and most importantly, your voice to seeing real change happen in our country. Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I'm Mariah Rose Wimmer. How are you doing? Well, it's hotter than Satan's beehole. <laughs> so there's that. Okay. Well, this week we are coming at you with... Oh, this is an interesting one. Oh, um, is it? A lot of people really, really don't like this film. They say it's extremely boring. <laughs> no, I would, yeah, I would argue the opposite. I think this film's actually pretty incredible. And you try and track a plot. Yeah, I really like this film. This is definitely right up my alley. So we are talking this week about the 1985 supernatural slasher. Okay, okay. Um, appointment with fear. Here it is. We've got so, an appointment. <laughs> boy, do we. Before we get into this one, uh, do you have any thrift store finds? Well, yes, but I didn't get to ask how you're doing. I feel like if um, Satan was jogging. Oh, no. And he had a thong on. No. <laughs> I would be I would be that thong. It's very hot out. <laughs> okay. That's disgusting. All right. Let, oh, you said it. Thrift store finds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I just got some random stuff, but I forgot to tell you mm-hmm. what what I saw okay. and I couldn't buy. You, you said no. And I did? You were like, we can't buy that. And you were logical about it. And then I was like, no, 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 we got to buy it. And then you were you said fine, so then I had to be the grown up about it and just not buy it. <laughs> but you put the ball in my court, and I was responsible. But I was at a thrift store, and sitting on top of a like clothing, like a circular clothing rack, was a statue. It oh was, right! Oh, you forgot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I blocked that from my memory. It's too. I'm gonna put this video on our Instagram. It was pretty incredible. I, I had to take a video. It's two wrestling men it's like roman Roman gladiators they're nude and one is grabbing the other's penis (laughs) that's all you need to know it's like an epic fight (laughs) of the gods and but it was fifty dollars yeah if it wasn't fifty dollars i definitely would have said buy it but it was a bit pricey for that and you also said what will we say to our daughters that's true. <laughs> it was. Um, I didn't have an answer. A lot of to twisting that. and turning and grabbing in that sculpture. You'll see. Just just go to Instagram. Yeah. So, so what about you? What did you find? So that wasn't a find. That was just something you saw. Well, I found it. I didn't buy it, but I did get a cool mid-century planter. It's just not nearly as cool to discuss. Oh, okay. I got a cool mid-century planter, 
and uh, a muumuu. So there. <laughs> What'd you get? I had some luck. I found a Christopher Pike book we don't own. Oh, yeah. And we have pretty much every single one he's done, mm-hmm. except for a, just a couple. So I found a, a one, a rare one I didn't own. One from the 80s. Yeah, we'll do it. Okay. I found uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 on NES, which That's I was cool. very happy about. I love that game, and I had sold my copy off a while ago, so... I will spend $3 on it. Yeah, I was excited when you showed me. I was like, yeah, let's do that. And then I flashed back to when I played Dr. Mario the other day. (laughs) You had it all set up, and I was like, sweet, I'm going to just beat the game. And I don't know. It was suddenly like 11 o'clock at night, and I had played four hours. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway. You like your Dr. Mario. I mean, I beat the game, but still. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Okay. So I found Super Mario 3 and you were very excited. As were you. We're going to play it. We're playing it now. And then I found issue number one, a comic book I never knew existed. But when I saw it, I was like, well, I guess I'll buy this. Uh, Married with Children, the comic. <sighs> okay. So question, was there only ever one issue? No, there was multiple issues. Really? Yeah. Weird. Get with the program, bro. Nah, bro. Okay. You ready to talk appointment with fear? I guess. Do you have any facts? Because this is like they took a soup of plot points and stirred it all together and just served it up. Yeah, I got a lot to say about this film. First off, I should mention how it came into our life. How did it get here? It was a trade with uh, return shout out to our friend CJ at Video Nasties 87 who had hooked us up with the... Um, Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Oh, right. So he, he traded me this copy of Appointment with Fear. I had never even heard of it. It's, but he, he's a longtime listener and was like, I think you guys would really like this one. Yeah. Uh, man, was he right. Home run. Yes, I agree. And it's Grand weird. slam. It's weird, too, because when you look at the cover, it's it looks sort of nondescript. You wouldn't grab it and be like, that's the one I got to see. Yeah, it's just like a blade with a house. You have no idea what you're in for. No, but I do love that on the front, it's like, from the man who brought you Halloween. And then you're like, John Carpenter? Nope. (laughs) Nope, wrong, wrong. There's another Halloween? No, no, I'll get into that too. Oh, okay. Anyway, I just wanted to point out that CJ got us this film and I'm very happy about it. And when he sent it... His definition, which I think is spot on, was it's as though it was made by aliens. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, it's kind of like if aliens said, I think this is how humans make movies. Yeah, I see it. They made appointment with fear. Yep. It's because like they don't truly understand human behavior on any level. I am mesmerized by this film and I love it. It's yes. just weird in all the right ways. And all the wrong ways. All Mm -hmm. of the types of weird all together. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's got a 2.8 on IMDb. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of rating, you guys should really uh, rate and review our podcast. That's super helpful. Natural segue. You should go ahead and do that for us. Yep. But only if it's five stars. Yeah. Don't give us a Uh, Yeah. Otherwise, you're a horrible person. (laughs) What are you doing? So this movie was directed and credited to Alan Smithy. You recognize that director? No. No, because you were the one that gave me the fun fact on that. Really? Alan Smithy's the stand-in name for directors that don't want to have their name associated with anything. Oh. Uh, because it was actually directed by a gay- guy named 
Ramsey Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mm, but was it? It was. <laughs> Are you ready for your first fun fact? Fun fact. Oh, yeah, let's keep it. I'm, okay. I don't. No response on if people dig the jingle, but I do. I like it. You ready for your fun fact? Yeah, give it to me. Okay, so Ramsey Thomas was a producer on like Halloween Five or something like that. But he knew the main producer of all the Halloween films, Mustafa Akid. He's like the guy who has produced every single Halloween film before they went to Rob Zombie and then the remakes, but yeah. the, the original, sure. the true ones. Um, so Mustafa and, and this guy worked together. I don't know how, if that's how he got the job, but Mustafa is the executive producer of Appointment um, with Fear. It's the only other horror film he ever did besides huh. the Halloween movies. But Ramsey directed this film and right. then showed Mustafa the cut that was originally called Deadly Presence. And Mustafa said... Wait, was it Presence with a C-E or a Presence like Christmas? <laughs> C-E. Oh, darn it. <laughs> but he saw the cut and Mustafa said, nope, I don't like this, fired him, and oh. then decided to just reshoot a bunch of stuff and direct the rest of it himself. Yes, a patchwork quilt. And, and it shows. Totally makes sense yeah. now. Ah, Okay. Mustafa was an interesting guy. He, in addition to producing all the Halloweens, he's directed two films himself, both of which were partly financed by Gaddafi, the dictator who was what? killed. What? <laughs> yeah. Huh? So, there you go. Um, You're just going to leave that there? $35 million towards one film personally from Gaddafi. What? Yeah. And then, kind of an interesting story, Mustafa and his daughter were killed in the bombings in the hotel. Oh. Yeah, that's where they were killed. Weird. I know. Yeah, strange story. But anyway, okay. it partly explains why this film is such a disaster is because there were two people directing it. One thought he could do it better. Mm-hmm. And I, just, it shows. It's an exquisite corpse of filmmaking. For sure. Okay, I like it. What what else did we have that with? That was what well, was it? Zombie spookies? nightmare? Oh, spookies! Yeah. yeah, spookies was ah. I remembered. I feel like a queen now. <laughs> Very much like spookies, where it's just like somebody decided to direct another version of it, like and then it. they just <laughs> inserted random clips. <laughs> yes, very good analogy. That explains so much. Okay. So there you go. There's your fun fact. Okay. All right. So that's the setup of this film. <laughs> And that's all the sense that will be made. Ready, yeah. set, go. Okay, let's start off for no reason with uh, some drawings, cartoony drawings of Egyptian like papyrus scrolls. Yeah, is it for no reason? Well, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna they say bring it, it back. Wrong. But it's not successful. <laughs> this is probably the most amazing. Um, like wraparound I've ever seen on a film. Okay. And um, <laughs> so I was trying to make sense. I was like, okay, so we've seen Newt. We see the goddess of night. And I was like trying to put it together, but it's all over the place. Um, Did you see the god of the forest in there? Right? There is no god of the forest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. There is no link to be made between all of these Egyptian images <laughs> were being thrown. Then we go to an empty city. 
Yeah. And I was like, is it the apocalypse or what's happening? And there's finally a man in a car. He's got like a bowler cap kind of thing, a suit. He's just like a detective, like a PI. We learn he's a detective and his name is Kowalski. It's yeah, such we, a sergeant's name. They just <laughs> they just went for it. And he's in a suburban area. He's like surveilling a house and he gets out of his car. There's no nothing that no impetus for this action. He just after sitting there what seems like all night, he's getting get out and go to a suburban and put a tracking device on it. <laughs> yeah, I do like to. He's constantly got this reoccurring theme, which comes into play later, where he lights a cigarette and then goes to throw it out the window and it always bounces back in and then like burns him or the car. Sets his car on fire. In this instance, <laughs> he pours a coffee on it and puts it out. <laughs> but he's being watched by a guy in a white van across yes. the street. And we later learn, let's just put it out here now, the guy's name is Addis. Addis is in a in a van, white van, creeper man, brown hair, black and white cat sitting on his lap. He's stroking it. He's watching the scene. Yeah, he does have a cat. Why? I don't know. Ugh. Okay. Then a woman comes out of this house, the suburban house. Oh, I've got so many questions already. No. Shoot. I'm going to forget them by the time we get to the end. The woman comes out of the house. She's got something. It's definitely not a live baby. No way. It's in a red blanket. She carries it like it's a log wrapped in a blanket. It's not moving. It's solid. One piece. She sets it in the front seat of her car and we get a shot of it. It's a baby now. And it's just laying crossways across the front seat of a car. Right. And she takes off. The She's nervous, too. Music is pretty bitchin' right here. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. Okay. Actually, I think the music in this film is probably the best part of the whole movie. It really delivers. Excuse me. Do you remember Heather? Were you watching the same movie <laughs> oh, I, as me? She's the boy, best do part. do I know Heather. I want a uh, Barbie doll of Heather. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? She's, yeah. She's okay. special. So the woman takes off and Kowalski begins following her. Even though he's got a tracking device, he's tailing pretty close and he gets nervous, and so he speeds up, and he hits the shopping cart of a homeless woman. <laughs> this is a reoccurring theme, too, is that he sucks at following people. And driving. But he's a detective. Yep. Okay. It doesn't really matter, but I just thought I'd include that information. Then let's skip over to, let's go meet Carol. Okay. Carol's sitting in the back of a red pickup. Uh -huh. And she's got a listening device, the kind that's got like a dish that's, it's like a bowl shape and mm -hmm. you hold it up and you listen. And she's yeah. sitting in a, a, like across the street from a old man's birthday party, which is <laughs> yeah. happening on the front lawn. And it's basically surrealist art happening. It's pretty incredible. We see, we meet Heather, mm -hmm. my favorite character, and she has... You know the band La Butcherettes? Yeah. <laughs> she always does the red stripe. Yeah. Or like Adam and the Ants. Like or Adam like Ant. she's from the Misfits. She definitely looks like she's from Gem and the Holograms. <sighs> and she is miming. And then we get this clip from the two old people discussing it. What is she doing? She's trying to get out of the jar. Why in the hell is she in the jar anyhow? Oh, keep quiet. <laughs> So many questions. Why is she miming being in a jar at her grandfather's birthday party? Why are they in a lawn? Why is Carol watching this and, and listening? 
Also, Heather is our star of this movie, by the way. It's She's got some she... credits under what? her belt. Oh, yeah. Some of these people do, but she is a return person. What is she from? She She's looks vaguely from Ghoulies 2. Oh, okay. She was also in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Oh. Girlfriend. And she was in Pumpkinhead. Wow. I know. Some, some Hats credits, off man. to you, Heather. I will still say this is her best role. Easily. <laughs> There's well, no way she could top this. Yeah. I. She cannot. There's no point. Why try? Okay. So I guess it's next door. The woman with the baby on her front seat comes. She tries to go into a house. We never learn why. Doesn't matter. She sets the baby... <laughs> She sets the baby in a bush and then just sits on the step one foot away from the baby in the bush. And if you were to walk up from basically any angle, you would spot this baby. Uh huh. She sits there and then Addis, the man in the van, he doesn't have a cat now. He just comes up and sits down next to her and she does probably the best acting ever. <laughs> Can you do a sample of this? He's going to live. You won't find him. He's going to live. She seems really distraught. Yep. And then he just very slowly stabs her in the side. (laughs) Yeah. Also, when she was walking up to the step, do you remember the huge shadow of the cameraman following her? Oh, yes. I really enjoyed that. That's that's the kind of like real quality work we look for in films. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So she gets stabbed. And as she's dying, Heather miming jar miming heather comes over and casually agrees to take the baby Mm -hmm. for this dying woman yeah she's like you have to care for my baby and hands it to heather of all people who who was miming just a second ago yes and there's also been some illusion and i'm gonna spill the beans right now about what happens so heather's all messed up because apparently we learn later in the film in in no dramatic way that she's responsible for the death of her baby brother in a car accident no yeah because she said since since the accident no the accident was in the he drowned in the bathtub while she was babysitting oh so she doesn't have brain damage no (laughs) she's just got like ptsd and survivor guilt or something she acted that way because she was in a car accident it had brain damage. No, she was socializing or something. She wasn't checking texts because it was the 80s, but she was doing whatever she was doing. That explains the kid in the bathtub scenes. Yes, we flashed to it like 9,000 times. Okay, wow, this is all coming together. I've seen this a couple times, too. Yep. okay. This was your first time watch. Yes, indeed. Um, I also, Heather's relationship to this baby, apparently I've... Never caught this on any time I've ever watched it, but when I was reading a synopsis from somebody, okay, she's the babysitter of that baby. No, that's what she tells people. So she's been given this baby by the woman who <laughs> dies after the baby's handed over. Okay. She, okay, first of all, <laughs> Heather in no way offers aid to this woman who's clearly dying from a stab wound. Oh, no, she's just staring at her. She takes this baby and she's like, cool beans, bye. And... Heather and Carol, listening device Carol, leave in the red truck with the baby. They just leave the body and the grandpa's birthday party. (laughs) Whatever. They scoot away. Okay. So we've got that situation. And as they're leaving, Carol looks in her back window and sees a white van following them. But then it's not there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is where... 
Kowalski thinks that he knows who's in the van. Yes. He thinks it is this killer that he had captured and had locked away, Mm -hmm. but is in a mental hospital right now in a coma. Yes. And he's trying to tell the person at the crime scene now that they've discovered the the body of the Mm -hmm. woman that uh, he knows who it is. And they're like, okay, buddy, that doesn't make any sense. So he's supposed to be a real good detective, although I see no evidence of this at any point in this film. (laughs) No, he fails on all accounts through the whole movie. (laughs) So, yeah, he thinks... Um, he like gets some homicide report. He's not even on this case we learn. So he's just a weirdo stalker, I guess, of the woman who died. And he he's like ready to put the pieces of this mystery puzzle together and blame a man who's in a coma yes. for this crime. We find out that the woman who died was the wife and that child is the child of the man who he arrested and is in a coma who he thinks is now driving around in a white van. Okay. That's the relation. Before we go on, though, Mm -hmm. I really want to talk about Norman. Yeah, okay. So Carol (laughs) drops off Heather and the baby at Heather's house. Carol goes to a driveway of their friend. We later learn it's her friend Samantha's house. She's going to go check on her. And up comes a homeless man. And he says, Norman, God damn it, you scared the hell out of me. I'm sorry, Carol. How'd you find me? I don't know. I just knew to. I'm to tell you not to go to the party. Who told you that? I don't know. I just knew to tell you. That's right. And Carol's like, are you tired, Norman? And he says, yes. And she says, good night, Norman. And he climbs into the bed of her truck and goes to sleep. <laughs> a grown man. These are teenagers. Yeah. And, well, I in, use that in, in theory. quotes. Yeah. Not quite lone wolf teenagers, but teenagers. Okay. And he just crawls into the back of her truck and takes a nap. And we come to learn over the course of this movie that that's the relationship that they have. Like, she later <laughs> explains... He needs somewhere to sleep, and he's harmless. They all accept that this absolutely bonkers homeless man is fine. No problems. And <laughs> he's he speaking sh- to God through the whole movie. <laughs> yep. And so he's sleeping in the truck. She pulls out her listening device. She listens in on a game of strip poker between her friend Samantha and Samantha's boyfriend, Cowboy. I only mention this because they come up a little bit later in the film. Whose actual name in the movie is Cowboy? Cowboy. Yeah. It fits. It fits. You understand what he looks like. But they're playing strip poker, and basically it's just to have a nude scene, I think, in yeah, this movie. Yeah, I think so, too. Okay. So then she decides, hmm, got a homeless man. I'm going to go. And the, we see the van following. And then we have a quick scene, too, of Heather at her house. Her mom has accepted that she has a baby now, that she's watching indefinitely. <laughs> and this is where we learn how uh, this party is going to come to be. So I think it's her mom's boyfriend. He's like a real yeah. estate guy. His name's Georgie. He has a house that Heather and her lady friends are supposed to be at that night. Mm-hmm. Also, on there's an easel with Heather's art. Yeah, her art's pretty cool. This is the only reference at any point that is made to her being an artist. Yeah. But boy, is it a work of art. It sure is. It actually reminded me of the art from uh, Velvet 
uh, what is it, Velvet Buzzsaw or whatever? Ugh, don't even mention that dumb I know, movie. but it was the same kind of art, like, where they tried to make it disturbing. <laughs> yeah. But, and then Heather suddenly, she's offended that Georgie's creeped out by her work, but then she looks at it and she's scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you know, these driving scenes with, like, Carol and stuff like that, we keep getting these flashes of the van just randomly following them. And then not following. Also, the van, we should explain, is a white, like, Ford Econoline, mm-hmm. which really makes me miss our van. We've talked about it, I'm sure, in the past. Yeah, Grandpa Whisket. Grandpa Whisket, our blue 1985. Oh, same year this year. Mm. This came out. Same year. Ni- 1985 Ford Econoline. But it was baby blue instead of white. <sighs> That's too bad. Yeah, okay, well... Carol goes to the library. She acts as though she's never been in a library. Like, she bends over and looks at books like, what are these things? <laughs> but she dances around the library, finds her friend named Ruth. And there's a whole nonsense bit about Ruth driving the van or the red truck with Norman asleep in it. And Carol's going to drive up a different car to this party that looks like it's way the heck out there. Yeah, they're just going to take the homeless guy with them in the back of the truck. Yeah, he's fine there. <laughs> he's That's got nothing house. else going on. Ruth, by the way, is also from some other movies. She's what? been in Avenging Angel, but she was in Friday uh, the 13th Part 5. Oh, yeah. Okay. Get after it, Ruth. So she drives up there first to this party. This is the saddest party ever. Is it? Because towards the end of the movie, it's a pretty incredible party. (laughs) I would say. We'll get to it. She lets herself into this very fancy, like 80s fancy house. There's columns that are supposed to be like uh, marble columns, black couches. It's 80s fancy. She lets herself in and... Cuts the cheese. She pulls it out of the fridge. She cuts it. She sits on the couch. She eats the cheese. She just eats a slice of cheese from a block and then um, takes her top off and hops in a pool. She, why did she? She's living her best life. I get this. I, I was actually most troubled by the fact that she goes to skinny dip, but only does it halfway. Why yeah. did she leave her bottoms on to get soggy and wet? I don't know. I also uh, read... she puts on her pants. Why? I read that she um, also didn't want to do a topless scene. So yep. she re- agreed to do side boob, mm-hmm. which is very clear. Oh, yeah. But she had just done a topless scene in Friday Part 5. Maybe because she kind of knew what kind of movie this was shaping up to be. I don't know. Oh, she yeah. also looks at dolls. There's a lot of looking There's at dolls. There's a lot of allusion to, like, a possessed doll that actually has nothing to do with anything. Well, no, the doll does kind of come into play. Okay. And then Norman sits up, he talks to, to God, and is attacked by mosquitoes. This film is so insane, we're really just laying it out like, yeah, this is what happens. But yeah. the tone of this film and trying to keep up with it is, it does feel like it was made by aliens. It's weird chaos. It feels it like makes a no weird sense. like acid trip or something where you're just like, what is going on? What? Where am I? Where am I? What, you know, what is the time? What dimension am I in? Right. It is very, it's a very weird film. Well, okay. It's very dreamlike. Yes. So, he- Ruth has come up to this house. She doesn't know the owner. No. She's driving somebody else's car. She's got a homeless man who speaks to God in in the bed of the truck. She eats cheese. She stares at dolls. She swims with her top off. And then she gets stabbed. Yeah. There, this doesn't make sense by a man who may or may not be there. 
Also, right before she gets stabbed when she's staring at the doll. Yeah. There's a really cool song playing. I just, I feel like the score is really fun. Okay. There's like a score and then there's just songs on yeah. like a soundtrack. Yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna play a little clip. I just because some of the else, songs were fun. Yes. Yeah. I nobody agree. else is gonna hear this, so I'll just play it now. Okay, so let's go to Carol's house. She's at her own house. I think it's her house anyway. She's standing outside of it. She's got a listening device, but she's noticed that the white van is parked across the street. And then up comes a guy. He's driving one of those, like, motorcycles with a sidecar, but in the sidecar is a blonde mannequin. And no explanation. Never. Actually, I prefer it that way. <laughs> it's so surreal. His name is Bobby. He comes up. Who does Bob? What do you think Bobby's trying to do here? Because Bobby is trying to act. He, he is going to act his pants he off. He really tries to steal every scene. He's, and actually, for good, I, I appreciate it because I he adds so. a lot to this film. We would be lost without Bobby. He reminds me of the perfect combination of poor impressions of Christian Slater okay. from like Heather's era. Christian Slater, for sure. Mm-hmm. With the like long trench coat and constantly like flipping his hair back. Okay. And then uh, the brother from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 that does all the like karate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like combine those two together. And you get uh, Bobby. I feel like he could be in an 80s sitcom with Tony Danza, where they play like repair guys, and he's the like silly younger brother. Okay. He really acts. He does. He comes up and starts talking to her, and she's like, is that van real? And he walks over to it, unscrews the cap on the tire, and it instantly deflates it's I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then he basically spends some time telling her how he's gonna stalk her. Yeah, he says, Can I go to your party? And she's like, Nope. Yep. And then he goes, Well, I'll just find it. I'll just stalk you. And too. then she's like, you know what would be really adorable? If I just walked over and pulled out a knife and popped your tire in your motorcycle and then just walked back cute. And he's like, Ha oh, I can fix that. And he's like, I'm in love with you. After she just popped his tire and is just watching it sitting there deflated. Yeah, he's basically her stalker. Yeah. And he's okay with anything. Now let's go to the detective. He's interviewing a man at the psych ward. And basically we hear about how Addis is the god of the forest or the king of the forest. And he needs to kill his baby to walk on earth another year. So this is the plot. Yep. Is that... Don't blink. Don't sneeze. You'll miss it. He calls himself Addis, king of the woods. All day long he's talking and talking and talking about that baby of his. Says he must kill his baby in order for him to be king for another year. And he says that only out of a king's seed may another king grow. Also, there's another person we meet in the mental hospital. Oh, yeah. Uncle Phil. <laughs> yeah. From Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Get it together, guys. He's in this. Rent it. I don't want to overdo the fun fact theme. Yeah. So I won't use it. But I do have one more fun fact for you. Whoa. And it kind of blew my mind. Shocked I did not know this. What? Um, and I'm assuming a lot of listeners are like, yeah, duh. 
Okay. 108 episodes. Of? He's the voice of Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, I knew that. What? I'm sorry. I knew that. But he's still more famous for Fresh Prince. What? That's it? That's all you're giving me? I'm sorry. You blow my mind with most of your fun facts. Oh, this is really sad right now. Wait, 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 wait. Here we go. What? (laughs) Yeah, there we go. No! Better? No! Better? I did not know this! This yeah. is brand new information. <laughs> yeah, well, you get a... Oh, thank you, you for sh- bringing me so many fun facts. Shredder clip just for that. <laughs> you passed your test with flying colors. <laughs> okay, let's go to Carol. She arrives at the fancy house now. So, remember she sent Ruth with Norman in her truck? She comes in. And she sees that um, that her friend Ruth isn't around. She eats some of Ruth's cheese, kind of starts to look, but gets sidetracked. <laughs> it's a small house. I feel like if I knew my friend was there, I'd be like, where are you? And the weirdest part is she goes to cut herself some cheese and then realizes there's already three slices of cheese and just eats it. Doesn't she stare at the doll, too? Yes. Everybody stares at dolls. I kind of feel like the doll and the cheese are connected. I'm just going to throw it out there. I I see it. I see it. Like, the doll's like, that's my cheese. Why are you eating it? Let's get out a cork board. Yeah. Let's put a picture of cheese. Let's put a picture of dolls. Let's put a picture of Norman. Sleeping in the back of the truck. Get some red thread and start connecting the dots. Oh, I would love to see an appointment with fear. Also a picture of Shredder. Police board. Let's do it. Heather arrives at this point, and remember, Heather's coming to this party with somebody else's baby, a dead woman's baby. I kind of feel like if you did the police board long enough with the red thread for appointment with fear, you'd end up with like a beautifully crocheted like uh, blanket or like a grandma's doily. Because I feel like it actually would create something very beautiful if you could just attach all the pieces. I feel like you're onto something. I feel like, yeah. Maybe it's just that I really like this movie a lot. This is what you should do with the rest of our quarantine time. Okay, I'll do it. So Heather comes. She's she's the life of the party with her baby. Uh, Everybody loves a baby at a party. Oh, and she asks if they can keep it. And she's like, well, for one night. Yeah. What is happening? They like both know the mother is dead. Found like a bird on the street. We got to turn it over to the authorities tomorrow. I actually don't know what the plan is for the next day. Then they segue very naturally into a conversation about how many guns there are. And apparently there's like a room full of Oh, there is an arsenal. Guns. It's not like um random guns too it's like ak-47s yeah who doesn't want their teenage girls to go have a party at a house with a bajillion guns and a baby i see no problems here and a homeless man jeez okay uh then cowboy the one from strip poker earlier Uh uh-huh now he has a table he's set up on a steep hilly driveway with a table looks like he's setting up for a garage sale it does, but, but he's also... Not. He's just hanging out in his driveway with a table. I felt like the whole time I was waiting, too, for that table to tip over because the hill is pretty steep. Well, Bobby's there also. Yep. And they're talking, but Kowalski is across the street. How did he find him? I don't know. Okay. But he comes up. Oh, he drops his cigarette in his car first. Yeah, gotta do that. Then it's he comes shtick. up and basically is like, 
talking to Bobby about where is she? I need to find her. I need to find this baby. And then Bobby's like, no way, man, I'm going to lose you. And then hops in his motorcycle. And then we get this long chase scene. Yeah. Again, though, with really cool music. Yeah, actually, yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then, uh, this is not a surprise at this point, the sergeant cannot follow him. He once again fails to follow somebody. Well, this is the weirdest chase scene ever because they stop for a train car. So, and they're but they're next to an Amish person with a horse. With a horse, and the horse is trying to lick the mannequin in Bobby's <laughs> sidecar. Why? Why? And then it kicks part of like it totally trashes Kowalski's car. Well, the the uh, post that comes down oh. to block the train, like okay. traffic from going over the train tracks, comes down on his hood, and then Bobby feels really bad about it, yeah. and is like, "Hey." Will you teach me how to blow smoke circles like you did? But did he? I don't remember. He did any in his scene. car, and then the sergeant's like, "Nah, it's too windy out." And he goes, "Okay." But he says it like <laughs> with a smile and deep eye contact, like real deep, and like a flirtatious smile. And that's the whole scene. That's um, that happened. That did not. N- none of that needed to happen, but it did. It's as though somebody got a hold of this film and <laughs> shot additional scenes that made no sense. And then instantly Kowalski's back in the in the mental hospital. <laughs> yeah. And oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and Addis, the man who's in a coma, begins to glow. <laughs> and he transports to the party house and Again, playing fast and loose with the term party house. Yeah, because there's a tree out front of the party house. This, like, knotted, twisted tree. But it's like a (laughs) sculpture. It's not even a real tree. But it's treated as though that's his, like, gateway because he's the king of the forest. I guess. And if he, he, like, glows and then transports through a tree into the mansion. But he also has his van. Why does he, why Why does does he he have have a van? van? I know. Okay. Why does he have a cat in the van if this is all a... This is described, by the way, as an astral projection. He's Mm. just projecting his image that he can then manipulate, like, space and time with. So if you were a king, an Egyptian king, by the way, Mm -hmm. and you were trying to hunt down your son to kill him so that you could be eternal, why would you astrally project into a 1985 Ford Econoline van with a cat? I feel like I would do that. (laughs) I don't know. Also, why would you not just transport closer to the house? Yeah. He or like right rest next of, to the baby. Spends the rest of the whole movie. The ho- the tree is like 20 feet away from the house. And it takes him the rest of the movie to get 20 feet. Well, and he, by the time he gets to the house, it's, an, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> this is really, really awesome screen screenwriting. Okay. I don't see any problems, honestly. I I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Let's go to Heather. Let's check in with her. She's now got the baby. She's sitting in a darkened room by herself at this party. The party of Missing Ruth, Carol, and then also friend Samantha comes. But Heather's being weird with a baby. And this is where we get a little more insight into the reason that she's weird, I guess. I mean, maybe. Hey, I got another... Let's see if this fun fact will blow your mind. Samantha, the other friend? Yeah. Do you know who she is? Who? The ex-wife of David Hasselhoff. 
what? I thought that was Taylor. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking David Duchovny. <laughs> really? Yeah. Two children together. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay. ah, I left you speechless, it seems. I just flashed to that Vegas hamburger scene. Oh. I'm sorry I did. Go to Kung Fury instead. Okay, I'll do that. Let's go settle there. Okay, Heather's being weird with a baby uh, because she's responsible for her brother's death. Also because she's weird. Oh, and she's got her makeup back on. Yeah, she puts on her purple makeup or her blue eyeshadow thing. I really love it. It's pretty cool. I think, I like I am gonna, I think I'm going to make a, a Heather Barbie. Oh. I think it'd be really cool. But why? <laughs> Just to have and look at it and go, oh, remember that movie? Why does everybody think I'm the weird one of the two of us? Uh, nobody does. Really? Yeah. Oh. Why, girl- nobody thinks I'm weird. You're just, just making assumptions. You're weird. Oh. You just talked about making a Barbie. Yeah, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Anybody who's listening right now would be like, yeah, totally. That's a cool idea. Gotta dude. make the Barbie. Gotta make your Heather. Okay, so Carol and... Um, Samantha are talking and Carol's like, hold, 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 hold. I'm going to use my listening device now. And then she grabs a gun because she hears something coming. But whoops, it's just Bobby. Oh, I'm so glad that Bobby came to the party. (sighs) He wasn't wanted, but he was needed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he was. The story of Bobby's life. (laughs) And then, so Bobby comes on and Samantha's like, I'll leave you two alone. And she goes, she's not going to do half, half of like a side boob thing. She does whole hog skinny dipping situation. Yep. And she leaves Bobby and Carol to have their moments. Well, meanwhile, Kowalski is like, I need some information. And you know who he visits? Who? (laughs) Miss Cleo. Yes. She tells him some things cannot be written, and oh. they stand in the world's tiniest library. Okay, Miss Cleo, I guess that was maybe over some people's heads of a certain mm-hmm. age. Miss Cleo was a uh, fake, like, teller. Like, TV psych. Well, TV okay. personality. We worked in an overnight shift. You and I split it. I worked 12 to 4. You worked 4 to 8. And we were at these college dorms as a job. I'm, I'm going to make the Clio connection here. Don't worry. Okay. So we were working night shifts. And we begged to have a TV because we were front desk of this dorm. And mostly it would just be people coming in drunk on their way to bed. But we would be sitting there sometimes selling snacks. This was in the early 2000s. So we got a TV. And we were allowed to watch it. And it was, I think, 90% Miss Cleo. <laughs> telepsychic commercials. It's just a commercial TV personality with a fake, like, um, Jamaican? Jamaican accent. Kind of. I'm assuming. I could be wrong. Maybe this was all legit. But No, I think I heard it was fake. And she would give these psychic readings if you called her 1-900 number. Mm-hmm. The cards can reveal things that you will never see by yourself. Call me now for your free tarot reading. Call 1-800-980-8637. What is crazy is that this person that he's gone to the mystics shop is named Miss Cleo. Is it a mystics shop? I thought it was like a, a t- tiny... Um... Egyptian deity library. I don't know, but she's okay. named Miss Cleo and she's got all the answers and she has this accent. Mm-hmm. And I I had a moment. 
Yeah. Tell me if I'm like way off base here. You probably are. Do you think the real Miss Cleo saw this and was like, I could actually kind of create a character around it? Huh. I think no. Okay. But I have a question. Do you think 900 numbers still exist? I think so. Really? Prop. Well, probably not, huh? It would be weird. Let's just dial one and see. We're going to get like a $5,000 phone bill. Well, uh, speaking of seeing, let's see what Miss Cleo had to tell Kowalski because she's really dropping some knowledge on him. How can I explain this? As we move and speak in our dreams, he moves in our reality. Do you understand? He possesses great power. He is the god of nature. Many ancient cultures worshipped him. Okay, let's get back to the party because it is really pumping right now because Bobby brought a mixtape and there is an amazing track on this mixtape and mm-hmm. amazing things will happen. Here's the music to set the tone. <laughs> I had to come here to this place You told me not to show my face And they decide to do some foreplay. Chair dancing. Just like every couple. And uh, what's her name? Carol. Carol. So they start with a little chair dancing, like um, their feet are tapping. Their knees move a lot, but they they, stay seated. Then they decide to do sexy (laughs) peekaboo. I have sexy peekaboo written in my notes. And then we just get a scene of them standing... About a foot apart like you would at a junior high dance. Yeah. Except he just grabs her boobs and and stands there. Uh-huh. And then they start making out. And then she holds up her arms like a two-year-old to have her shirt taken off. <laughs> like she's getting ready for bath time. Yeah. It is such an awkward and amazing scene. And it's a central room in the house, and there are other people there, and this is where they decide to do that. Good job, guys. Let's go back to Heather and the baby. They're just being weird. Let's check in with Norman. He's in the truck. He's talking to God. Well, there's a pulsating light that's coming out of a sculpture somewhere. Yep. And he's like, you know, God, you never, you're never there for me. And then he goes over to talk to God. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. It's not God. It's the astral projection of Addis, the man in a coma, who then cuts Norman's head off. Okay. <laughs> Did you think Norman was going to save the day here? No. Did First you time think I was Norman had like, a purpose? Well, he definitely has a purpose. I just don't know if it's for this film. <laughs> like, But I couldn't imagine this film without him. He made this film for me, honestly. What would you do if you came uh, in one day to the house and I had a scale model of the truck with Norman sleeping in the back as a Barbie? And then Wait, Heather... Wait, why a Barbie? Like the the figures. Oh, it's a scale model, like a teeny tiny truck, well, Barbie like a, size truck to go with the Heather Barbie. But See, then there's a Norman one, and there's a truck, and there's the white van, and there's Addis. So are you gonna set up like a whole diorama on the yeah. floor of the garage? How cool! How cool would that be? I think I'd love you more. There you go. Okay. So you're on board. Okay. That's called Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Oh, let's go back to Heather with the baby. She's doing something weird. (laughs) Okay, Kowalski is on the move, by the way. Yeah, and Atticus is like, 
petting a dog now and he's like go get him boy he doesn't say it with words he just points but it's implied kowalski's on the move his car breaks down he gets mad and throws a cigarette which then bounces back into his car again (laughs) and then his car's brake goes away and his car rolls down the mountain and blows up yep that happened okay how about Let's have a dance troupe arrive. <laughs> Dude, this is what won me over. I already, me too. I already love this film, but I was like this. This is what pushed it over the edge for me to become like probably one of my favorite films from the 80s. Okay, so we're in the like parking area in front of this fancy house. Yes. We've got um, Bobby. We've got Carol. Heather's somewhere weird with a baby. Samantha's somewhere else. Okay. And- Norman just had his head cut off. And his body's gone. And his Kowalski's car just blew up. But that's far away. And this is a hard cut edit to a full-on 80s troupe. dance troupe, like interpretive dance. They are like every muscle is flexed and poised to 80s perfection. And the music is pumping. It is. And they are jiving. And it is. Whew. Everyone seems just across the board confused by what's happening. Including uh, the viewers of this film. But I love it. I am such a fan of a good interpretive dance in the middle of a horror film. Yeah. I feel like there should have been a lot more of this. But then they up the ante by bringing out a maypole. (laughs) With ribbons and they start interpretive dance uh, with the ribbons. Let's check in on Heather. She wanders off. (laughs) And then with these dancers, I don't think he brought them, but the guy cowboy, last seen from the driveway, comes up and dances shirtless with them. He does like a footloose dance. And Heather is not having it. She looks super annoyed. She's looking from the balcony and she's like, what? That's why she wanders off. Yeah, she's mad about the dancers with the maypole. And you know who else is just staring in the distance with no emotion whatsoever? Who? Addis, our villain, has projected himself to watch the dancers with the maypole. Honestly, like, I think we all around the globe circled to watch what was happening here. Well, this is what I saw happen. Mm -hmm. One of the dancers hands Heather a sword. It comes from nowhere. (laughs) Suddenly, Heather is there. Now she has a sword. And she hits the tree. (laughs) A sword. And the other friend dies. Hasselhoff's ex-wife. Samantha and Cowboy dies too, I think. Yeah. In the hot tub. Okay. There's no connection. Whatever. All right. And Carol's not having any of this anymore. She pulls out an assault rifle and shoots the van and the dancers disappear. Entirely disappear. They don't like scatter in terror. They're just not in the film anymore. Were they in astral projection or were they brought there by Cowboy? I think they heard there was a party and just game. Okay. Um, And yeah, so Carol and Bobby now know that something's going on because they actually saw the bodies of Cowboy and Samantha. Yeah, kind of classic slasher reveal where they're all in the hot tub. And the van's there and Carol's like, wait, wait, wait. That's the van that you let the air out of the tire by unscrewing the cap. So she shoots it. She has no second thoughts. She also starts shooting the pulsating light that uh, Norman thought was God. Good call. (laughs) Yeah, none of that's working. So Carol decides, I'm going to set down this gun. I'm going to go on the hunt with my sound thing. (laughs) And she begins listening. And then Addis uh, 
busts through a glass window. Why couldn't he open a door or astrally project through? Okay, that's the first time I saw this. And then by the second time, I was like, yeah, this makes no sense. Not only does he bust through the window, it's he falls through the window. Yeah, he just kind of like, timber. Dude, you have the moment. You have all the time in the world to prep for your crash through this window. It feels like he was surprised that he fell through it. Uh Uh-huh. And I immediately thought, why would you just not project yourself into the living room? Also, if you can... Eat some cheese and and (laughs) high-five the doll and keep walking. Yeah. It was really not well-planned on his part. So if I could, like, command dogs to do whatever I want, I would have had a hundred dogs bust through that window, and then I'd, like, levitate through it. Okay. That's a good plan. (laughs) So here's the other thing. His van and Addis himself projected at the very you know the first time he arrives at this mansion Mm -hmm. literally in front of the house yep why is it it's now like the middle of the night this happened in the daytime Mm -hmm. why is it taking him like eight hours to decide to finally break through the window can't he just astrally project next to his baby and kill it and move on you would think okay now let's check in with kowalski he's sitting around smoking (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what's his name? Bobby picks him up in his sidecar. I do love this scene, though, because he drives out to the scene and is like, get in to take him to the house. Mm-hmm. But instead of Kowalski removing the mannequin from the sidecar, <laughs> he picks it up, gets in the sidecar, and then sets the mannequin on his lap. It's and they respectful. Dri- <laughs> they drive off together. Okay, a few points, though. Carol is actively being stalked by an astrally projecting god with yeah. a gun. And she's got a gun and a sound. Well, the god doesn't have the gun. She has a gun. She has a sound thing. Bobby goes to find a detective. that He doesn't know that the detective is on his way. Right. He just drives away and happens upon this detective. <laughs> so he leaves a woman with a gun and another woman with a baby. to And a sword. No, she. I think she abandoned the sword after hitting the tree. Okay. She did her, her thing with the sword. But it doesn't matter because Carol's ready. So after he's busted through the glass, uh-huh. Carol's there with him. Yep. He made this effort to get through the glass. And then he immediately turns around and goes outside. Yep. Gotta get back out. And Carol lights him on fire. Uh-huh. And this is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Okay. Because he's on fire and then... His uh, he like reforms his projection, and mm-hmm. the burning body is standing there. Yeah, he, that is cool. But he walks out of it. But the, here's why I like it: for as dumb as this film is, it's not one of those like um, overlays where he's transparent mm-hmm. walking away. It really does look like he walks out of the burning body as a new person. Yeah, and it just looks awesome. And, and I, the burning body just stands. Yeah, there. I was really surprised by this scene. I was like, wait. This is a really cool scene. Mm-hmm. And he walks off, which reveals that he could not be killed that way. So Carol's like, wait a minute. Meanwhile, uh, Bobby and Kowalski, who really has been built up this entire film to have to help Carol, uh-huh. serves no purpose in this no. movie. Just like Norman. Like, ultimately, ask yourself, what is his purpose in this entire film? This entire film could have happened without him. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, he's like one of the main characters. So she tries to trick Addis. She has wrapped one of the dolls in a blanket to make it look like the baby. We don't actually know where the baby is at that moment. 
Uh, sets it next, sets it down. I think it's next to the maypole or the tree, one or the other. I think it's by the tree. Uh, he comes out, he, but he's got, he being Addis, has the real baby. So he's <laughs> yeah. like, Which nice Which he could try. have just done at the very beginning of the film. Like, yeah, just right as the wife came out with baby and arm. Yeah. Uh, so he's got the real baby. He lays it next to the tree, and Carol starts shooting at him. That's not working. Um, Bobby grabs the baby, and Carol grabs the maypole. Yeah, and she goes ahead and impales him. And I guess that's what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, bullets couldn't do it, and fire couldn't do it, but boy, could that um, interpretive dance maypole, that really did the trick. Yeah, because he instantly explodes into human confetti. And you know me. You know me and David Pryor films. I have a very sweet spot for when people just blow up in movies. Uh-huh. It's like one of my all-time favorite things. It actually happened in a movie I was watching today, and it made me really happy. Uh-huh. A guy threw dynamite at somebody, and they just blew up. It was funny. It's um, ridiculous. This ending's great, because he just blows up into confetti. It's kind of like uh, when you punch the nose on Killer Clowns. Yeah. And they just blow up into confetti. Same thing. And he dies. I guess. And yeah. then Heather comes out now. <laughs> yeah. Heather, who's played such an integral role, walking around confused for the uh-huh. last three quarters of the movie. Yeah. And uh, she takes the baby. Mm-hmm. And we go to the baby. Yeah. Let's take a closer look at this special baby. And the baby has glowing eyes. Bye. Movie's Freeze frame. Over. Movie's over. I have, one, I have a question for you. Oh. You, the, wait. You've got a question after this? Yeah. Well, the baby... Already was possessed then. Or... Didn't need to be killed to be possessed. Or one of them had to die. Addis died and he's like, swoopity doop, I'm in the baby now. Okay. Or the baby was like, my time now. I'm the king of the forest. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to I'm going to ask some it. questions. Okay. Why Egypt? Like, why Egyptian gods? I'm going to ask a question. Okay. Why does Norman, every time somebody pulls up, say, I'll park the car? Hi, Norman. I'll park the car. Okay, thanks. <laughs> but never parks a car. Okay, I have a question. Uh-huh. What about the cheese? Yeah. <laughs> Got any cheese? <laughs> I really love this film a lot. I love it for all the right reasons, and I feel like you have to see it. It's really hard to explain the tone of it. Interesting that you love this for all the right reasons, because I love this for all the wrong reasons. What's wrong about this? Everything's... It's it's like, so bad it's good. It's so wrong it's right. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. so up it's down. All the reviews are like, this movie sucks. It's boring. And I'm like, are you not watching the same movie I'm watching? Did you not see that baby with laser eyes? <laughs> Did you not notice Bobby's acting? <laughs> I thought this movie is incredibly entertaining and moves very quickly. And anytime it starts to get dull, they insert this awesome 80s music and we're good to go. Also, any movie that can make you go, what's going on with the cheese? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something happening, and it's important. There are movies we watch where I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to take notes for, like, half this movie. This one, we were both frantically writing the entire time. Yeah. Because there's so much happening in this. It is nonstop. And if you want to argue with that, that's your agenda, but that's wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. You know what isn't wrong? This movie. It's right. It's so wrong, it's right. It's so right, it's wrong. This is, without a doubt, 
Laser Graves approved. Oh, yeah. And if you watch this and you go, wait, what? You don't get Laser Graves then because this is like, uh, I don't even know. This film is way up there for me. Mm-hmm. I really, really like it a lot. Well, it's a really stupid film. But if you like to look at stupid things and laugh, <laughs> then you should watch this. Also, if you just like to be mesmerized by the wonder of cinema, uh-huh. this is very much like a surrealist fever dream. It's Yeah. I don't think that was the intent. I really like the phrase fever dream, too. Yeah, this should have been called fever, fever dream, dream with a baby. Is there a movie called Fever Dream? I want to watch it. I'm sure there is. Is there a band called Fever Dream? Oh, I'm sure there's like 40 bands. And they're all like, that was our name first. I'm learning ukulele now. Just trying to be a full hipster. And I'm going to release an album called (laughs) Ukulele Fever Dream. (laughs) (laughs) I'll buy it. (laughs) I won't do that. All right, guys. Well, that's Appointment with Fear. We love it. We think you should watch it. Uh, track down a copy. Actually, I don't even know if this ever came out on DVD. I would be kind of shocked if it did. Just astrally project yourself to 1985 and watch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Great solution. Thank you. You're the one with all the answers. I've got them. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe. Help our numbers get up there. We're having fun doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's what you could do to help us out. Tell a friend if you want to follow us. We're on Instagram at Laser Graves. You mm-hmm. can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Tell people that. Uh, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Apple iTunes. All the places where you listen to stuff. Just, it's okay. Yeah. And um, if you want to follow us on our personal sites, I am at death at 33 RPM at Instagram. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And that's it for this week. We'll come at you next week. I'll park the car.